Yeah, I, I printed out on, on one of these little sort of A5 sheets. So tonight I've printed out the text that I'm going to preach on. And that's it, really. Uh, one of the difficulties with, with tonight is that um, I, I have to sort of thank the uh, musicians and uh, Rosie and Olivia and, and David and the creators of the animation to thank them for, for presenting both the Noah story and also the significance of the Noah story related to our contemporary situation, which is what I was going to do, actually. <laughs> So what I have to do now is um, earn my uh, keep by taking the story and making it more complicated. And I'm going to do that by, like most preachers, I, things often fall naturally into three, and I have three aspects tonight. So I'm going to start with the second one, then I'll go on to the third one, and then I'll do the first one which is really related to the third one and a wee bit of the second one, okay? So that's where we're going. We better pray together. Lord Jesus, you, by your Spirit, are here to speak with us, your people. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In your own name we pray. Amen. The, one of the difficulties with the Noah story is knowing where to start with it. And it, it's very natural to start at chapter 6 and ended at the end of, of chapter 9. And that's exactly what we've done. That's exactly what the video has done. But I'd, I'd rather start halfway through it. And if I was to ask you, and I, I'm going to be asking you a number of questions tonight, so just get yourselves ready to answer them. If I was to ask you for a key verse in these four chapters, I wonder what it would be. There would be quite a number of contenders for it, perhaps identifying Noah as, as a righteous man, or God making a covenant with Noah at the end, or towards the end. I think the key verse isn't one that stands out like that. The key verse is rather an ugly verse. See if you can spot it on the way through. And this is also going to be a sermon on uh, the Noah story that doesn't really mention the ark or the dove um, or even the flood terribly much, I have to say. Because I, want to, I just want to be bigger than that. No on the circle of life. So where do we begin the story? Well, let me begin at chapter 9. Okay. I want to begin chapter 9 Round about verse 8. Now, this has the look of the end of the story, doesn't it? But I'd like to begin there because if we're thinking of, of something circular, 
We often will say to children, um, if we're teaching about circles, a circle doesn't have a beginning and an end. And in a sense, that's right. But actually, circles sometimes do have very important beginnings and ends. And it is important to know where to begin in the circle. And so here we're beginning at what I think in the overall story of the Old Testament, as I hope you'll see as we go on, is really the natural beginning of the story. And that's chapter 9 from verse 8. And what's that talking about? Well, in that chapter, in that, in that chapter, in those verses, God is talking about a covenant. God is making a covenant with his people. So before we go on, let's think about what this covenant thing is. Um, we often get covenants mixed up with another word beginning with C. Uh, just five points for that word. Contract. That's right. We get covenants and contracts mixed up. We also think of a covenant in another context, don't we? Anybody think of another? Military. Military. Marriage. Marriage. Any others? Giving. Uh, we, we have covenanted, covenanted giving. In each of those contexts, it's not a contract that's being made, it's a covenant. And there's a big difference between the two. Why do we make contracts with people? What's the point of a contract? Well, we make a contract with people because we don't trust them. Very simple. And so we make this binding legal agreement, I don't trust you, I'm going to hold you to account for keeping your part of this contract. A covenant is entirely different. We make a covenant not as putting pressure on someone else, but as putting pressure on ourselves. We make a covenant to do something, and it's a legal way of holding ourselves accountable to do something. Therefore, a covenant of marriage, as each makes the covenant, the husband and wife are saying, I will put myself under a legal obligation to do good to you. And that's what a covenant is all about. And that's what God does. God puts himself under a legal obligation to do good to his people. He commits himself to doing that. And that's where the story has to start. Why? Well, there are a number of good reasons why it has to start there. Let me come to, to that in a minute. Because a covenant is not just something, uh, 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 this covenant that God made with Noah is not just God committing himself to do good to Noah, but that should have moved on. Let's try it again. Oh, rats. Okay, let's give it one more go. That's better. Prayer works. Uh, in this covenant, God says to Noah, I'm going to do good to you. But also, doesn't he say, I'm going to do good to your family. And I'm going to do good to the whole of creation. So covenants have this strange way of spreading out beyond the two who make the original covenant. As God says, I commit myself, Noah, to your good. I commit myself 
to your children's good. And I commit myself to the good of the whole creation. Covenants are fantastic like that. So in a marriage, if your husband and wife committed heart and soul to each other, then that spreads into the lives of their children and grandchildren and perhaps out towards the neighbors and and draws other people in. Covenants are just fantastic things. And that's where we have to start because that's where God starts. But a covenant also says another thing. A covenant is also an invitation. Will you join me in this covenant? So in a marriage ceremony, a husband will say, I will covenant myself to do good to you, my beloved. Will you join me? And a wife says, I will covenant to do good to you, my husband. Will you partner with me in this? Because a covenant always looked for a response on the same basis on which it's made. Simply doing good to someone else. Okay? So that's where the story starts. And if the story starts there, then are you getting echoes of another part of the Old Testament? Okay? One, two, three, four, five, six. I'll give five points for each of them. You've got your Bibles there. I'm going to come over here for 8.13. 8.17, I'm coming here. 9.1, I'm coming here. And 9.3 are the folk over here. And I'm looking, take a look at the verse, see what the echo of creation is in that verse. Okay, have you got one from, from 8.13? Anybody? No? And it's a bonus point over here if anybody gets it. All right, 813. Let me just check that I've got the reference right, just in case. Chapter 8, verse 13. Yep. Yep. Yep, what is it? By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Okay, stop there. What's the echo of creation? The water and the dry land. Okay? The water dries up, the dry land appears. 17? You get anything in 17? Every living creature. Yeah? Anything else in 17? Be fruitful and multiply. That's it. See the echoes of creation? 9 verse 1, anybody? Same thing again, isn't it? Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. And then 9 verse 3. Yep. Every moving thing that, sh- that lives shall be moved for you. God gives food to the people. I give you everything. So he gives <coughs> green plants, but also the, the animals. So you see in in these verses how there are echoes of the creation story. So what's happening here? We've had God acting in sovereign grace at creation. Making a covenant with Adam. Saying, this is how the world is going to be. Now live with me. Here again, God is making a covenant with 
with Noah. A sort of new creation, a starting all over again. And this is the sort of thing God does regularly through the Old Testament. We find God choosing someone and making a covenant, committing himself to just do good for these people. Okay? A, the first one is? Go go back. That's that's the second A. Adam. Adam. N is? Noah. Noah. The second A? Abraham. Abraham. M stroke I. M's the individual. I's the group. Moses and Ireland. No, Israel. Israel. Moses and Israel. That's right. D is David. Now, NC isn't really so much a person, but it's a promise. NC, a new covenant. You're, you're a step ahead, absolutely. A new covenant in Jeremiah. So these covenants with the various people through the Old Testament, and then the promise of a new covenant. And when that new covenant comes, it's between J and C. Jesus and the church. Jesus makes this new covenant with the church. In himself, in his body, through his blood, a new covenant is made. And then to finish off, we're back to an individual. Jesus and me. Do you see the pattern? Where regularly God comes to us and says, I want to commit myself to you. Through the Old Testament with those great heroes... But then when the New Testament comes along, Jesus making this new covenant with his church and with me. And that's where we have to start all the time. It must always be there. So wherever you are in your journey through life, if you're walking with Jesus or if you're not, the first thing that God says to you is, I want to commit myself to you. I want to do good to you and through you to other people. That's the start. But I I was going to make this a title of of the whole sermon, but I didn't. Well, that didn't work out too well, did it? If you go back and look at what happens here, it would be fantastic to be able to do what they did in the animations. It would be wonderful to be wonderful, wonderful to be able to do what we normally do when we tell the story of Noah. And that's stop at chapter nine, verse seventeen. Everything's hunky-dory. Floods come, dried up. New covenant, brilliant. And then you have this absolutely dreadful story. It's a, it's a shocker, isn't it? It's awful. It's told in rather delicate terms. And to be honest, we're not quite sure what's going on in the story. So it, it basically talks about Noah. Uh, planting a vineyard, getting the grapes. So obviously it takes place over, over quite a time. It's not just the day after the, the flood has gone down. 
Plants a vineyard, takes the grapes, makes wine, gets drunk, and lies naked in his tent. One of his sons comes in, sees him, goes out, tells his brothers, and they come in and cover him up. And when he realizes what has happened, then Noah curses his grandson, Canaan. Well, I can imagine it might be a bit embarrassing. In fact, it is embarrassing seeing your parents naked. I can well imagine. But worth cursing your grandson and all of his generation? What's going on there? Well, the commentators make make various suggestions, all of them just deeply unpleasant. But you come back to the title, and you have to say, Lord, you chose this righteous man who was pretty good before the flood. Now we have him after the flood. And to be honest, Lord, he's not really up to much the last we read about him, is he? It's all gone pear-shaped. Here's an interesting thing. What's God saying to us in these three verses? Now, you can look them up as I talk if you wish, but it's basically the same thing in each of the verses. There's a hint in each of those verses where God seems to be whispering, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. It's okay. I knew it. I didn't get it wrong. I knew that was going to happen. I suppose if you want me to to spot a key verse, as I said at the beginning, I reckon the key verse, actually a key part of a verse for understanding this whole story is chapter 8, verse 21. And it comes in the middle of that promise that God has made. I will never again curse the ground because of man. And here it is, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Folks, I knew it was going to happen. And that's part of the repeated pattern that we find time after time after time after time in the Old Testament. Let's see how many of these we can get. At the start, we have from C to F. Yeah, anybody? Creation to fall. Great things happened. Fall takes place. N, of course, is Noah that we're looking at now. A and then HNP. A is the one you mentioned earlier. Abraham. H for Hagar. A. Abimelech. P. Pharaoh. Each time something good happens to Abraham, the great covenant maker... It goes pear-shaped pretty soon afterwards. I in the D, I is, of course, (laughs) not Ireland, no, (laughs) Israel. Israel in the desert. Don't you have that time after time there? Everybody comes out in the Exodus. They start to grumble. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. They start to worship the golden calf. They get manna. Ah, but we want meat. Time after time after time. D and B, yeah. David and Bathsheba. SP. 
Now we're into the New Testament. I, I like where you're going. I like where you're going, Bill, with that. I wish I'd thought of that. Solomon and plenty. Yeah, that works. That works. Now we're into the New Testament now with SP. Excellent. Simon Peter, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Looks like 10 minutes later, Jesus is saying to him, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. A and then 1C, 2C, G-E-C, 1T, 2T. What have we got there? A for Acts, and then it falls out, yeah. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I chose those because they're the ones that are most obviously written to churches with problems. Acts, the fantastic... Of course, they're a fantastic story, but even in Acts, yeah, yes, Ananias and Sapphira, they're in there, in the church. Paul and Barnabas have a blazing round, have to separate. It's in there. R and R and M. We're in the church history now because you find it regularly. God having to have a new start because everything has gone wrong. R and R, the first R is what we're celebrating the anniversary of roundabout now, especially last year. Reformation. The second R is something that uh, we like to talk about reasonably regularly, but we really hope it doesn't happen because it's going to be too disruptive. Revival. And M, me. Why? Chapter 8, verse 21. Because human beings just have evil hearts. And time after time after time after time, God blesses us and we do stupid things. I uh, led a CSSM team for a number of years. I worked on the, on the team for five years and then led the team in Port Ballantrae for five years. And as I look back at that consistently, we, we had some, some great times, but I look back at that and consistently the weekend after the end of SISM was one of the most difficult times, in, 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 there were difficult times in my life. Difficult times to stand against, against temptations. Things that I thought I'd cracked and they were there again. Ask many ministers and they'll tell you that Sunday night and Monday morning can be the most difficult time of the week after worship. Because our hearts have this tendency just to drift into evil. And judgment falls. The flood comes and awful things happen. God says, I'm going to do good to you. We say, bring it on, Lord. And then we do dopey things. And judgment falls. As regularly as day follows night, follows day, follows night. But we have a choice to make. And that choice is pretty simple. Because there's actually quite a significant difference between the story of Noah and many of the others that I've mentioned. And that choice 
is that we can let things get worse or we can deal with things now. When we recognize what we're like, when we recognize how things are going, we can say, okay, Lord, I hear you. I'm going to deal with it. Or we can just let things trundle on. Ring any bells just as I go? Ring any bells? Maybe it's, it's someone who has known lots of good things in life but never come to Christ. And times actually are getting quite difficult now. Or maybe as a Christian you've wandered and wandered and wandered. Mm. But actually I think there's a daily pattern in this for all of us. Because it may be that the pattern in your life or mine is not that fall into gross sin that leads to great judgment. But it's just a reminder that the daily pattern of life for every Christian is to spend time with God to hear his promise of blessing, to rejoice in that promise of blessing, to set out in new obedience, but to recognize that you're just not going to be perfect. And you're going to have to go through that cycle every day. And that's a fantastic cycle. Because every day you're starting by saying, Lord, I've messed up. And the Lord's turning around saying to you, I knew. I knew it was going to happen. Didn't surprise me. Come on, let's start again. Let's go for it again. And so it becomes circular. And this is the pattern of the history of God's people. In a different way, it's the pattern of normal Christian living. Round and round the cycle. And round and round the cycle. Round and round the cycle. Just one more thing to say. How do you cycle? There are really two ways of cycling. And the story of Noah reminds us of the foolish way of cycling. You can cycle like this, or you can cycle like this. The story of Noah, whoops, sorry, let me go back up. The story of Noah is about the people of the world who cycled with all of this great mass of evil that they were carrying. And God's judgment had to pare all that away, had to strip all that away. That's what the flood is all about. It's about stripping away all of the evil to bring mankind to a leaner, more, I can't think of a better word, efficient way of living in a godly way. The more evil we carry in our lives, the more painful it is to have it stripped away. It's as simple as that. Nothing more complicated than that. Word to the wise for anybody? Let's make sure as we live for God, as we're cycling for Him, that we're cycling like this, that we travel light, that the evil things that come into our lives that spring up from our hearts are constantly being left to one side constantly being put away and we're constantly saying okay Lord I'm ready to take the good things you want to give to me 
because, as we were reminded earlier in our worship, the judgment that should rightly fall on us, that fell on Noah, that fell many times throughout the Old Testament, has already fallen on Jesus. Jesus has taken the judgment for us, but more than that, he has given us a new heart. So that the old heart, the natural human heart that tends towards evil, that uh, God talked about to Noah, that old heart that constantly drags us down, has been replaced by a new spirit, a new heart that constantly wants to move towards God. The bad news is that the conflict is still there, isn't it? There's still that dragging down and still that desire to live for God. God says, I commit myself to you for your good. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? God commits himself to us as a fellowship together for our good. Isn't that fantastic? God has committed himself to me for my good. Isn't that absolutely incredible? Shall we pray together? Lord, we just have to stop where we started. You've committed yourself in Christ Jesus to us. We recognize that we're not perfect. We recognize still that inclination towards evil that is a real part of who we are. And so, gracious God, before your judgment falls upon us, we commit ourselves to following you. And we commit ourselves to that daily cleansing as we come before you, recognize our folly, and turn again to you. To be honest, Father, we fear that sweeping away that you may have to do as you bring floods into our lives. We do, we just don't relish the thought at all. So keep us wise. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep us rejoicing in your commitment to us. And strengthen us daily in our commitment to you. For it's in the name, in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Our God, we thank you for your presence with us this evening and for the covenant promise of your presence as we go from here. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.